Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by GooGoo.jp. Get a great night's sleep with a comfortable and affordable GooGoo mattress. Discount code later in the podcast. Hello, everybody. This episode is a deep dive into those mystifying Japanese business practices foreigners in Japan often struggle with. Intercultural facilitator Masafumi Otsuka will explain four reasons why Japanese managers change jobs every three years. You know, the dreaded periodic job rotation system. Masa also brings clarity to the topic of why Japanese managers always see the glass as half empty. Westerners often complain about the risk adverse nature of Japanese business, and he explains the logic behind the decision making process in Japan and offers his suggestions on how to get a positive outcome. This episode is filled with Japanese cultural business concepts which are quite unique to Japan, such as Nemawashi, Genten Shugi, and Kyocho Se. These are all explained in depth by Masa in an enlightening and easy to understand way. Masa jokingly claims he's one third Japanese, one third American, and one third confused. He gets personal about his struggles returning to Japan after years in the US, the politics of quitting a high profile job in Japan, and the stress of always being watched in Japanese society. If you listen to one podcast today about Japanese business culture, this is definitely the one you need to hear. Direct from Tokyo, this is Now in Zen with intercultural facilitator Masafumi Otsuka. So, what I think is Japanese, if you're, if you're a Japanese and if you're not obliging to the Japanese harmonization social rule, you can see how much brutal they can be. This really nasty, not bullying, but like, you know. It seems like it would be extremely stressful. It is. To every day be worrying about yeah. what other people yeah. are thinking yep. about. You're always being watched. You, you wrote another great article. I love the title. The title was Trash Talking. What your neighbors are saying about you、yeah. because you throw your trash out the, the wrong way. It's not because you're a foreigner. Japanese are strict to each other. In that case, somebody's always watching. That pressure, that stress of always worrying about what other people are saying behind your back. Yeah, but if you only know that, that is your default mindset. Because Japanese don't mind, because that's the only, from day one, they were born. So it's the normal. If you come from a different perspective, then it becomes super spying, intense. Could be a mental health issue. Of course. Like 98% ethnic Japanese means that very homogeneous. Homogeneous culture has their own rules. It's very different. You're not painting a great picture of Japanese corporate society here. I'm gonna paint a really good picture after this. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm very neutral. I don't think the Western way is、yeah. the best way to do it.、Perfect. I don't think the Japanese. Well, Western way is the best way to do it under that Western rule. Sure. sure. I, I truly believe that Japanese way is the most efficient way to do it. Considering all the Japanese values and rules, this is the only way to do it. That's how I feel. You are the facilitator. Hence the facilitator. Masa, cheers. <laughs> I'm a, like a huge procrastinator. That's one word I love in the English. There's not wor one word that describes procrastinator in Japanese. 
Because not Japanese are not procrastinators. You, you should not be a procrastinator in Jap- Japan, right? <laughs> There's no Japanese word for procrastination? No, no, no. We have to explain it. Really? Okay. Like, for example, until there's a fire on your ass, yep. you won't you do move it. on it. Okay, <laughs> that's a great way to explain it. That's how you ex- describe procrastinator. I like that. Why are you a unstructured person? That's a good question. Because maybe, because I consider myself one-third Japanese, one-third American, and one-third confused. I grew, I was born in Japan, Age four, I don't even have one memory in Japan. My father took me to LA, business. Then completely American, go to sc- American schools. Then suddenly they brought me back at age 12, and it was a nightmare. Everyone hated me, classmates, teachers. Why did they hate you? Because I'm kind of destroying the harmony here. So grade six is still elementary school in Japanese. I go into a Japanese school, and then teacher goes, if, do you have any questions? So I just raise my hand and no one else is raising. I ask this question and everyone laughs and teacher doesn't even like goes, you don't even know that. And then, so you're already becoming the nail that literally is oh, sticking yeah, yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I didn't want to stick out. I had to learn how to become a good Japanese. If you look Japanese, and if you're not acting Japanese, they will be very brutal. So it's kind of like a survival mode at age 12. Were you bullied? I wasn't bullied. Well, maybe a lot of made fun of. Passive aggressiveness? Passive aggressiveness. It was so hard to fit in, right? Okay, so you're speaking English in school. You'll never speak in a pronunciation like this, right? You'll fake it. You'll just make sure that you're speaking so you won't stand out like a Japanese pronunciation. Oh, so you were purposely speaking English with that's like a, broken that's English? That's an unspoken rule of all returnees who came back at a very sensitive age. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know that. it's an unspoken rule. Just not to stick out. That's fascinating. So how did that make you feel? There's two ways to look at it. Yeah. You could say, hey, I had this great experience when I was younger. I almost feel like I'm half American, although I'm Japanese. And you probably don't want to just throw that away so definitely throw it away I wanted to throw it away oh really yeah I really kind of resented my parents because they're thinking that they're giving really good education because there's both sides but no 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 no. me and my brother growing up we felt that we really wanted to stick to one country if you want to US fine US Japan no 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 they're just born here and like because it's so hard yeah there's so many Japanese values that's important. Harmonization, ability to harmonize. That word does yep. not exist in the US, right? Ability to harmonize, right? When one word, right? Kyochose. That's that a word. That would be the number one, priority number one in Japan, right? Let's get into your business. I mean, your title is intercultural facilitator executive coach and global leadership trainer. How would you describe intercultural facilitator? Okay, so Japanese, non-Japanese, when there is a intercultural conflict, which is everywhere, right? When they start collaborating. 
I understand American or Western, how Westerners think of business. I understand all the jargons. And then I understand this side very well. The Japanese side. The Japanese side very sure. well. So I can explain the Japanese perspective from a Western point of view, right? And I can also explain Japanese, the Western point of view, the Japanese from a Japanese point of view. Are most of your assignments, are they corporate? Yeah, yeah. Deals or yeah. the individual? Corporate. So you'll work with a, typically a foreign affiliated company? Yep. Let's or just... Japanese company. Japanese company that wants to go global. Are you brought in as a facilitator to ensure smooth transactions or when there's a problem and you're kind of like a cultural consultant 911? I think so. The, the latter is closer. I do global discussion or like, you know, especially the meetings are like so difficult for Japanese. Western, they, they just want to do it. They just want to make that decision during that meeting live. A lot of people say nemawashi is cheating, right? Nemawashi? They, they is hate cheating? nemawashi, right? Who um, hates? Who hates? Oh, the Western side. Western right? side, yes. They just hate nemawashi. They think, because of course it's done in Japanese behind closed doors. Yeah. Nemawashi is. Consensus building, yeah, or or, or lobbying, like, lobbying. You know. So it's done because not everybody that listens to this podcast they speak Japanese or mm. know the Japanese term. So, Nemashi uh, is kind of like a series of one-on, basically one-on-one conversation that takes place within Japanese organization during that decision-making process. Right. This one person will start talking to all stakeholders inside and outside company. Everyone doesn't have to agree, sure. but at least everyone's informed. And at least they're informed, their voice, their voice is heard. Masa, you write a great blog, and you have some fascinating titles. And today I'd like to talk about a couple of those. I'm going to give this a little bit of a build-up before I mention it. So this is one of those unique Japanese business cultures foreigners can never really understand. And it's so frustrating. It's happened to me where I'm negotiating or I'm building a relationship with my Japanese counterpart. We've been talking for a year. Mm. We're getting close to the deal. Mm. We have a great relationship. And suddenly he calls me up and says, Hey, Andrew, I'm being transferred to Fukuoka or I'm moving from marketing or sales to HR. The article that you wrote with the title why do Japanese managers change roles every three years? And it's the concept of the periodic job rotation that is so common in Japan. And you wrote all about this, and it was an excellent article. It's actually the reason why I reached out to you. Oh, really? That so, article? Yeah, I read that. I was like, wow, this guy really knows his stuff. What's the logic and rationale behind the periodic job transfer? You gave four reasons why this happens. So it just really comes back to how we make decisions, right? In a Japanese decision-making way, right? Because it's more of an inter-department. One department cannot make decisions, big decisions, right. without involving other departments. There's very little delegation in Japan. Oh, there's, there's hardly no delegation in Japan. It's very micromanaged, and so you need to know the people from other departments, and you need to know their perspective, how they're seeing stuff, 
So it's seen as a networking opportunity. It's a networking opportunity. This is all about how to make good decisions in a Japanese criteria based on harmony. So that's one. Another is a learning opportunity because where you go, when you go into that department, you will learn their perspective. To become a good general manager, your learning opportunities, you'll have like if, you're a, if you start from manufacturing, you want that marketing perspective. So you want to go to the marketing department, get really good contacts that you can talk to. Because you're going back to your original division anyway. And then number three, complacency. This is a topic that I don't think a lot, a lot of people are talking about. There's this Japanese phrase called choshinoru. Choshinoru. Do you know choshinoru? Yeah, to feel like you're the best. You know, you're... complacency or getting carried away, those kind of meaning, right? Yes. Do you know the word seizensetsu? Seizensetsu is a concept where we're all born good, but society is ba bad influences in the society that can corrupt you. So to, to maintain that virtual state, good state, you need to constantly not be distracted, work hard. Self-sacrifice. Yeah, self-sacrifice. Don't be selfish. You need to constantly work hard to yep. maintain that good state. But I really see this happening. I've noticed that whenever somebody moves from one division to another or they're hired in mid-career, when they always come into the new company and they give their greetings to everybody, they always say the same thing. I don't know anything. I'm going to cause trouble. So please give me your guidance and I'll try my best. And in a way, that's what you're talking about is it's almost forcing people to start over again yeah. To be humble. Yeah. So that's why I think most Japanese are humble. It's not that nature Japanese are humble. It's a society system that makes Japanese humble. Once you feel that you start getting it, and you're not supposed to, we're trained not to think about what we want to do, what I want to do, right? It's more like what we want to do, because I'll give you an example. Like when I went to banking, six months before I got in, I was called by the HR boss, and he asked me, well, how do you envision your career in Japan? A career in banking. I thought, oh, he's asking me this? Cool. So I said, I want to do this, 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 and I think this. I want to go first go to this division. And then six months later, first placement, I got placed in a totally opposite place out of nowhere. And I was really complaining to my dad, who was an executive. And he gave me this really look that, you said that? Like, oh. you know. How, how can I raise you that badly look? <laughs> and, and then he said, that is not the right answer. And I go, what, there's an answer? <laughs> like, like what I want to do in my career, there's an answer to that? And he goes, of course. Like, and then he explained to me the answer. He said, it doesn't matter where you place me. I'll try not to disappoint you. I'll work hard. I trust your judgment. You have my best interest. That's the one you have to take. Yes. Wow. So you were speaking like an American. You were speaking, speaking like, individually. 80% I can kind of manage being a Japanese, but those small parts that I make a mistake, it's so hard not to see it, not to under... But not the mistake is it. usually an unwritten rule mistake. Well, everything's make. unwritten, right? So it, it, it's kind of... <laughs> that's what I like about Japanese culture. It's that art of not writing, but we get it. We, we elevate it to an artistic level, which I like, you know, I thought, I, it's nice not to say anything, but your meaning is conveyed, you know. It's, it's, it's the high context, yeah, the reading it, the air. It's nice, yeah. Japanese like it too. We don't want to tell them. 
We want to figure out a way to convey it without directly telling them. From a Japanese perspective, it's a really good feeling. Come on, you know. Like, you ask me, I love you. We don't need to say that. Like, we understand that, right? It's kind of that subtle thing. We feel it, right? You don't need to. And we kind of feel that words are pretty light. And the fourth reason. Okay, so it's it's the ability to experience different leadership styles. Japanese is pretty much similar. Everyone's micromanaging. There's some people that do not, but most are micromanagers. That's why when I train expats, and they're very uncomfortable micromanaging because they've learned a lesson. If you micromanage a really good talent, they'll leave, right? Exactly. The Japanese, they're very used to being micromanaged. If if these sites don't follow up, Japanese side will think that, oh, okay, so this is not pretty much high in the priority because if it is a priority matter, they will tell me constantly to follow up because we do morning meetings every day. So most Japanese are micromanagers and like, you know, but it, it, they have their own different subtly. So you get to learn because Nemawashi process, very important to understand that person because you want to influence that person. If it's a leader, you need to really know how that leader's mind operates. That's a great explanation, Mazo. When I'm doing negotiations with somebody, we're so close, yeah. and then they leave, you always have to start over from the very beginning. Yeah. They don't say to their successor, oh, yeah, I was just dealing with Andrew, and we're so close to this negotiation. You know, you know why they do that? They only give a couple of days. That whole seizensitsu mindset comes into play. People think that if you're in this position for a long time, you'll be hiding something that has to come out. So three years is a good enough time. Maybe managers or executives more time, but not that much time. You know, I I was only given like three days at that location, three days at a new location, then you're off. And you have like 100 clients that you have to introduce. So here's my counter argument. Doesn't that hurt the company? Because if we're so close to doing a deal, now suddenly, if you get transferred, maybe the deal gets done, maybe it doesn't get yeah. done. It was supposed to get done, and it was going to help you yeah. as a company. Yeah. Now you have to start all yeah. over again. From this person's perspective, because he's thinking career more long, right? It's, it's not like a yeah. short career. I get a- it. I get it from a, a personnel situation. You've mentioned these four reasons, and I'll go over them again in a second. Maybe I'm thinking short term, but if we're about to do a deal that's going to net you a million dollars and now you don't have that million dollars income this year because we have to start the deal all over again, doesn't that hurt you as a company? It does. It does. But then I think there's thinking, which do we prioritize? Japanese companies think in the long term. So going back to periodic job rotation every three years. It was for networking opportunities. It was to ensure continuous learning opportunities, you said, to minimize complacency, and then also to experience different leadership styles. That makes sense. In Japan, expertise tends to be quite wide, but not very deep. Whereas in Western companies, the expertise is very narrow, but very deep. Yeah. Uh, My American friend said, Japanese are, the, in terms of expertise, Japanese are 10 feet wide, one inch deep. And we Americans are one inch wide, 10 feet deep. I agree, I agree. We all know getting a great sleep is important, 
And this is what Goo Goo is all about. Super comfortable mattresses at very affordable prices and delivered to your home for free. They back up their best sleep ever promise with a 100-night money-back guarantee. Learn more at gugu.jp and enter the coupon code ZEN for your discount. Gugu, better sleep, better you. And then I went into banking and it, I, I quickly found out that whatever I want to do, I don't know, but this is not it. Like, this is definitely not it. I wanted to quit, but then quitting is very hard in Japan. If you, like, if you go to elite college, go into an elite bank, it's pretty hard to quit because you cannot trouble others. If you're freshly graduated from college, directly into banking, if you quit, your bosses will be punished because they'll be seen as a manager that cannot manage the young talent. Right. So I have to be very careful when I quit. Is that why in Japan, whenever anybody quits a company, they always say it's because they have to go back to their hometown to take care of their parents? No, did they, did they say that? Yes, they always say that. Oh, really? They always give the manager or the company a face-saving excuse that, you know, their father is sick or their oh. mother is sick and they have to go back to their hometown to yeah. take care of them. You need a reason. And I think that the reason is based on your age. So if you're pretty much up there or maybe 30, 40 when your parents get old, then you can use that excuse. But I was like 25 or 26, so I couldn't use that excuse. Of, you don't want to leave the company in a really bad way, right? Like, right. Because then the rep your reputation will be damaged. But I needed a reason at 25 years old or 26 years old that made sense that I can tell them that they can use so at least their face is safe. So I said, hmm, and I, was, I thought about it. I had no plans, right? But I thought, oh, okay, maybe MBA might be a good option because they know that I grew up in the States. So that made sense. But they had a program, right? So they said, no, 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 no. If you stay here for another year, I'll personally recommend you to the HR. And, and I didn't want to stay at the bank. So I said, no, I, I'm going to, you know, after the MBA, I'm not going to come back. So I, I, I want to quit. I'm just going to leave now. Okay, that's uh, pretty solid. That's solid. And then after that, it was terrible. Like, you know, I really didn't want to break any company rules. I looked through the rule books and they said that you have to say at least three months or six months, maybe three months before at least. And when they found out that am I, I am 100% determined I want to quit, Yes. they just, they became so cold. I still remember, like, next month was a bonus month, and they wanted me to leave before the bonus month because then they can allocate more to the people who stayed. They just told me to leave before, in a, in a month. This much conformity Japanese has to go right. through well, you're not part of the group anymore. Once you've announced that you're leaving the group, that means you've left the group. Yeah. Even if you're physically there, harmony is important in Japan, but also the groups are a part of that harmony. Yeah. Your second article that I really enjoyed. Why do Japanese managers always see the glass as half empty? It's believed that Japanese managers always take the glass half empty approach because they are naturally pessimistic <laughs> bunch of people. 
foreigners do believe Japanese are risk adverse. It holds back business moving forward. Yeah. In that respect, I think is what you mean by the glass being half empty, not from half a Western full. perspective. From right? a, a yep. Western perspective. However, you have an explanation for that. So, do Japanese managers really always see the glass as half empty? I don't think so. From a Western perspective, I can easily see it looks that way. But from a Japanese perspective, they're acting very logically. What is the logic behind this risk aversion, or as I like to say, uncertainty aversion?、Mm. When you have a new project, or you have to make new changes, of course, then they ask the Japanese, "Can you change this?" or Uh, we want to implement a new strategy.、Um, what do you think about it? Those types of things, right? For example, right, right. and Japanese all always say, and you, if you really press them, I want you to do this. Can you do this? They'll say no, and that sounds very negative. How the Western side is doing it is very—they're just cornering them. Right. If you corner them, of course they'll say no, right? right. Because they're feeling all that, all the things we talked about. Don't want to cause trouble to others. You need nemawashi because you need to align all the stakeholders. You know you can't. If someone Japanese say yes without even talking to the stakeholders, even the stakeholders agree to those changes, they'll get punished because you can't make a decision.、Yeah. You made a decision without even telling me. Like you know, what kind of Japanese are you? Kind、yeah. of. They'll have to run it around the stakeholders at least before giving a yes or no or maybe answer. Due diligence. So even if you are the decision maker in Japan, you still can't make a immediate decision. You still need to consult with subordinates. Yes.、Yeah. This is a very complicated Japanese mindset, maybe. But if the decision maker says yes, what they'll do is they will not top down enforce it. They feel at 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 that moment that I can convince these people because I know them enough. So they won't say that this is decided. They'll say that okay. So here's what's coming up. I think that they want to do this. What do you think? But they know the answer, so、yeah. they can manage that process. Definitely, that's nemawashi.、Exactly. That's nemawashi, right?、Okay. So so at least if the Western side can say we're thinking about implementing these.、Right. Changes, and I know that you can't answer it because you have to ask around. Can you get back to me in a couple, three days, and see what what people are thinking? That itself would give them a much higher probability to、yeah. get a yes answer,、right. and then they can actually come into a discussion. That dialogue will make things much more easier to happen. Maintains harmony. Yeah, maintains harmony. Because、yeah. even even if you are the boss, and you make a top-down decision and say we're doing it, and now you need to do it, the subordinates are not going to be happy、yeah. about that, and will lose the manager could lose respect. So we've touched on due diligence is required, nemawashi is required, maintaining harmony. Again, another one. But I think what is most important in this whole discussion. Is about the Japanese business culture, unique concept of genten shugi.、Oh. Could you explain what genten shugi is? Because this is very unique、mm. in Western cultures.、Yeah. From a sales perspective,、yeah. if your target is a million dollars and you hit a million five, hundred and fifty percent, 
you, you could go home early today because you hit your targets. Go hit the pool or hit yeah. the bar and have a beer. Yeah. That would never, ever happen in Japan mm. because of Genten Shugi. Mm. Could you explain that? Genten Shugi is more of a people don't get complacent. It's not just about the results. It's about the attitude, every single thing. Yeah. It's, it's that you start with 100. You can't go over 100. So even if you're achieving your sales goals, if you're doing something bad, that would decrease points. Even if you're accomplishing the goal, when you do your performance feedback, they'll, they'll not tell you the 98 points that you sustained. They'll always start with that two points that you lost because of that complacency issue too, right? They wanna constantly make them work hard. Any transgression, not staying late in the office, maybe it's not cooperating as well as you oh, yeah. should with your colleagues. Oh, yeah. These are all things that you could lose points yeah, for. Definitely. Definitely. So you start at 100, and everybody wants to maintain 100. That's the goal, yeah. and that's the best you can do. You can't do 110 or 120. But the concept in, of Genten Shugi in general is you start at 100, and you can only go down. You can never go up. Yeah. Isn't that the main reason why a lot of managers or employees are unwilling to take a risk? You know, I often use the example when I was in a previous industry, we sold a product that was very popular. Whenever we had a promotion at a store, it sold really, really well. But I could never get permanent shelf space. Mm. They would only sell it occasionally as mm. a promotion. Mm. And I asked, I said, why can't we get permanent shelf space? Mm. And they said, the shelf space is 90 centimeters wide. Company A has 30%, mm. company B has 30%, mm. and company C has 30%, well, 33.3%, whatever. Yeah. So it's split between those three established companies. Yep. You're the new guy. My American thinking was, well, why don't you make it 120 centimeters, <laughs> make the pie bigger? Yeah. Their thinking was, well, we only have 90. Yeah. The 100% sales target yeah. has always been met with yeah. these three companies if I take out company C's yeah. products, 30%, and put yours in, there's no guarantee. So I would rather maintain the 100% than take a risk at getting 110 or 120. So that was so frustrating for me. That's so many layers. That's a very interesting story. If you do 120%, 120, not 90, then you're gonna go into other person's other parts and you're destroying that harmony, that 90, 90 other industry shelf space. Considering that versus maintaining the current status quo, they'll go with current status quo because these companies have long relationship. We've established we don't want to cause trouble with these companies. The example that I just gave you was from the stationary industry. These three companies that had the 90 centimeter real estate, 33 centimeters each, all three were established, well-known Japanese companies. Yep. And so we could get promotions and we would always sell great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say to the manager, look, we're selling great on promotion. We should sell great all of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can't we have that in there? Make it 120 centimeters. Don't take anybody out, because I understood that part mm. and how difficult that mm. would be. Is that not a win-win situation? <laughs> if you make the pie bigger, Japanese companies, right? I don't know how they're measuring the KPI, but if they were measuring by share, then 
the, the whole Genten Shugi will come into play. And they don't want to cause that trouble because they have been with that three companies for a long time. They had 33% of the market, now they have 25. Yeah, it's a so huge deal. So it's, to boil this down, why Japanese companies, from a foreign perspective, seem to be risk adverse or see the glass as half empty, let's boil down what you just said. First of all, this is what the manager may think. Do I need my boss's permission for this? Which key stakeholders will this affect? Not only boss, but the stakeholders, right? What sort of problems could this create for them? That's the meiwaku, that's the harmony yep. part. And then what is the chance of failure if I say yes? And then that goes to the Genten Shugi reduction of, of points. There's two parts in that failure. Failure and nemawashi failure. That's mm-hmm. one, if you say yes, you're committing, right? So if the stakeholders say no, that's a failure. Two is actual business itself, you fail. Okay, so if you were consulting me and I said, hey Masa, you know, I'm dealing with company A and they're always so pessimistic. They always see the glass as half empty. They're always so risk adverse. They never want to do anything. They never want to take any chances. What would your advice be in dealing with this company? I get asked that a lot. I always say, just give the materials beforehand. Like always send the materials in advance so they can do a nemawashi before the meeting takes place. Okay. And then you have the meeting and then always have a Japanese, they will do a post meeting no matter how you don't like it. Make sure that you have someone who you're very close to. An ally. Ally, good. You have to understand what went on after the meeting so you can strategize after. If you have an ally, this person, this side will appreciate this ally because what we Japanese like really feel uncomfortable and we think that like the Western culture wants to make the decision-making process transparent and do it live. We're thinking that, wait, 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 why would you want to make it live if we don't talk to the stakeholders? You mean spontaneously. Like all the like important stakeholders yeah. in one room. Right. I'm here for a fo- meeting and we're not leaving this meeting until we come to a decision. Yeah, at least we come up with a solution, right? <laughs> and let's try it out. If it doesn't work out, that's fine. We'll right. do it again. This whole prototyping mindset. Japanese think that that whole meeting style is so shallow. It's so shallow. Like, you oh, know. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Japanese are the, the champions <laughs> of having shallow meetings. What <laughs> yeah, are you yeah, talking yeah. about? So Japanese, we don't do meetings, remember? We you, do nemawashi. <laughs> well, they don't was, talk during meetings because that's the meeting. Right. If there's over three people, it's a, it's a meeting. It's not nemawashi. So they won't talk about, they won't be candid. That's a shallow because it's, it's just an me- unnecessary meeting that took place. From a Japanese perspective, I think. Yeah. So you're saying preparation, prepare your Japanese colleague with an outline or the proposal, give them some time, mm. maybe some questions might come back, mm. and then you have the meeting, and maybe you confirm some of the details, yeah. and then you need to leave them without a decision yeah. for the post-meeting after that. Can you think about it for three days, like, you know, or, or a week, or... It, it saves a lot of time before the meeting, you're giving them the agenda so they'll talk with different departments and at least you'll you'll get a sense of what they're thinking and then after the meeting 
you're now explaining that and you're not forcing a decision, you're explaining that to yeah. them. And then you get to hear one of my favorite Japanese words. Which is? Whenever I hear my customers say this to me, I know there's good news that follows this word.、Mm. Sasoku. Oh, okay. How would you translate that?、Uh, basically, it's saying, let's do it. Yeah. Sasoku is more of a timeline, quickness.、Yeah. It literally is translated as starting quickly.、Mm. That's a that, good observation. I didn't know Sasoku. There's always a positive phrase、yeah. after Sasoku. Sasoku, やりましょう right? Right? So here's a question I've been meaning to ask an expert just like you. When undertaking a task or a job, Japanese prefer the process to be difficult, complex,、mm. even tedious, rather than simple and efficient. And I think it's because it instills a sense of achievement and accomplishment. And I think the effort and the process is more important than the result. Do you agree or disagree? Effort in the process is more important than the result. I agree. That sounds very Japanese. Okay. Yeah. And then the first part, given a challenge, Japanese like it to be very difficult. So, Japanese, like, okay, so banking, I was in banking. When I first went to banking, there's this whole rule book. What the banking process is all about is that you perfect that entire rule book. You have to memorize it. So it's kind of that taking that routine to a whole new level makes sense in a Japanese corporation because you constantly have to work hard. And we constantly believe that those who work hard, self sacrifice, has to always pay off. That person should never be fired. And of course, some of these things that we talk about, they're stereotypes, but. There's some truth to stereotypes,、yep. right? Otherwise, they、yep. wouldn't exist.、Yep. So, we've been talking about a lot of cultural Japanese business aspects.、Mm. And we've also mentioned a lot of Japanese words、mm. that we had to explain,、mm. like nemawashi、mm. and gentenshugi,、mm. etc.、Mm. Do you have a favorite Japanese、mm. word that doesn't have an exact English translation?、Mm. Right now, I really like the word. Kenka ryo sebai. Do you know that word? No. Could you say it again? Say it slowly. Kenka means fighting. Ryo sebai means there's fault on both sides. Kenka ryo sebai. It's not a black and white situation. If there's a conflict, it's not a black and white situation. There's always both sides should take responsible, right? Even if it's 80%, 20%, or 90%, 10%, there's a conflict. It's not that who started it is bad. There's a conflict, means that there has to be accountability on both ends. What Japanese would do, which I like, is they'll own that 20%. Yeah. They'll own it as if it's 100%. And、yeah. this 80% will own it as 100%. So they'll apologize. So that's why there's not that cancel culture ish thing happening. I've heard that even in like, insurance claims, even in a traffic accident, if one car runs a red light, And hits another car, it's the other car's fault because they ran a red light. In Japan, it's only about 90% that car's fault or that driver's fault because the other driver should have been a little more careful. They should have assumed that it's possible that somebody could run a red light. A very small portion of the fault 
lies to the other driver. Mm. Is that an example of Kenka Ryosebai? Yeah, that's a very good example. What seems really black and white, still, you could have avoided it. Even if it's a 0.1% chance. Masa, we've talked about a lot of really interesting topics. We could talk probably for hours about this. I really love it. If somebody wants to contact you, wants to employ your excellent intercultural services, where can they find you? How do they contact you? So they can definitely find me on LinkedIn, Masafumi Otsuka, and I explain Japanese, this delicate, like, you know, hard to understand from a Western perspective. Right. I, yeah. I try to do that. Do you have um, a website? English website, I only have LinkedIn. Do you write for Medium? Is it better to write Medium? I think so. I've interviewed a few people that write on Medium. Ooh. And you get a very big audience. And there are many publications on Medium. There's one called Japonica. It highlights all Japanese cultural issues. There's Japanese writers. There's uh, foreign writers. It gets a lot of eyeballs. There you could probably maybe find clients that way. But also you can get paid for your articles there. I don't think you're going to retire anytime soon off of what you earn from Medium, but help your business. It sounds like you don't need a lot of help, though. No, no, I do, I do. I can also see the Japanese side from a Japanese perspective. So I always feel that there has to be a way to meet in the middle, somewhere in the middle. We've been talking about Japanese business customs where foreigners think Japan is unique. And the indirect assumption here is that Japanese business could improve. But some would argue that that's a very arrogant way to view it because Japan is doing just fine and has been for a long time. Sure, Japan ranks low in terms of productivity, gender inequality, work-life balance, but still it's the third largest economy in the world. Some of the biggest brands are here in Japan, and there's a lot of great things that Japanese companies excel at. And that's what you know, and that's what you bring to the table, because you also have the Western perspective, and you're bringing those two things together, and you do it in a very excellent way, and you write about it in a way that not many people can do. So thank you for today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. We could talk a lot longer. Thank you for your insight today. I really appreciate it. You have a great day. Thank you. You too. And that was Masafumi Otsuka, intercultural facilitator, executive coach, and global leadership trainer. If you liked what you heard today, feel free to contact him on LinkedIn. Just search his name, Masafumi Otsuka. There are links to his great articles we discussed today and a lot more. And for more discussions like today's, there are over 60 past interviews available at nowandzen.jp, also on iTunes and other platforms where you might consume podcasts. Just search Now in Zen Japan. Thanks for listening and catch you next time. Bye, everybody.